Hello everyone, thank you so much for having me. It's always nice to hum humiliate you on any platform possible. <laughs> no, but seriously, thanks for having me today, Chase. Now, over Thanksgiving break, we had a conversation about growing up black in Arizona and discussed how certain components of our identity have shaped, our, have shaped some of our experiences. I want to start off by asking you if you could talk about some of the experiences that you had in school and if that made you feel different from others and in what way. Well, I remember one incident in middle school where this girl in my class was talking to her friend and they were having an argument next to me. And the girl tells her friend, don't get mad like a black girl. And I looked over shocked and then she almost immediately said, oh, I'm sorry, Grace, I didn't know you were there. And then I thought, well, the fact that she would say it with no remorse if I, as if I wasn't here. It was moments like that throughout school throughout school that made me realize with a certain suddenness that I was different from others. Exactly, and for me it didn't even have to be moments as overtly hateful as this to make me feel othered by others. I always hated when people looked at my hair and asked me, how did you get your hair to be so curly? Or can I touch your hair? As if my hair texture is something new or alien to the world that they know. I also don't think that it helped that we were facing these microaggressions in an environment where we were already in a predominantly white school and neighborhood and barely had exposure to black history and black narratives outside of our family. I agree, because I remember in our history classes throughout elementary and middle school, the only times black people were discussed was when we were talking about slavery, the civil rights movement, and the election of President Barack Obama. I think that these microaggressions, combined with this constant narrative of oppression and struggle when discussing black Americans, made it hard to really understand what it meant for me to be black in America, as well as comprehending what I could accomplish as a black woman if others would only view me as black. I feel the same way, and I think it created a world which yielded us no true self-consciousness, but only let us see ourselves through the revelation of the other world. I remember once I got into UChicago, I viewed my academic success as an exception to this narrative of oppression that was placed upon us instead of thinking about my, how my success should be the rule and what prevents it from being the rule. Now, I realize that <coughs> that this double consciousness that Du Bois refers to is part of what prevents Black Americans from achieving their goals. If it was hard for you and I to comprehend how we could accomplish our goals, Imagine what it was like for black students who didn't have parents with high expectations, strict rules, and could be around more often to monitor them. I think that the way mom and dad raised us helped combat this struggle that many black Americans face, which is how we fit into the American narrative when society places these low expectations and pitiful narratives onto us. I want to shift our conversation now and talk about more and talk more about other ways that you've combated double consciousness and formed your own idea of what it means to be a black woman in America. Well, one thought that comes to mind is what you were telling me about bell hooks and whole theories around the oppositional gaze. She describes this oppositional gaze to be a longing to look, a rebellious desire that serves as a way for us to critique the perceptions that white Americans have perpetrated onto us and oppose these stereotypes that people believe we fit into. I've opposed these stereotypes by reading and watching more forms of mass media that have been created and portrayed by black people. For example, I read The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, which is about a black girl in a predominantly white school and her struggles as a young black woman. 
that same book became a movie about two years ago and was really the first time I could truly relate to someone in the mass media. I was able to use the perspective of the main character in the book, apply it to myself, and use it to oppose the perceptions that others have of black women. And I think that by reading books like The Hate You Give and consuming media created by black people, you were involving yourself in a process whereby you saw our history as counter-memory and used it as a way to know the present and invent the future. I feel like black men have done this as well and continue to do this because when we were growing up, I found myself frustrated with the fact that the only times black people were discussed in school was under this narrative of oppression or struggle. Later on, I began reading books made by black authors and watching documentaries about black leaders during the civil rights movement as a way to use our history of oppression as counter memory and form my own ideas of what it means to be black in America. Not only that, but also like gain a sense of what black excellence looks like. Yeah, and I would say that it was necessary for us to search for forms of media that were created by and for black people because without them, it is easy to feel no one is listening and that a special jargon or narrative has been creative, created that only the chosen can understand. When you hear classmates say things like, don't get mad like a black girl right next to you, it's very easy to feel as if no one wants to listen to you. Without having these black forms of media and literature as an alternative education I engaged with outside of school, I would not feel as confident or empowered as I am now to speak out against microaggressions like that. And the fact that it had to be an alternative education instead of being incorporated into the one I received in Arizona speaks volumes to the lack of value people still have in work that is produced by black people. Now, let me ask you, do you think that this is still a problem for you since you're attending U Chicago, which is an elite and predominantly white institution? I think about my position at an institution like U Chicago a lot because traditionally, students who attend colleges like mine are very rich, American-born, city-bred, Eastern-originated members of families of high class status. Um, while some of these factors apply to me, I don't come from a wealthy family and our parents aren't from the East Coast, nor are either of them white. So I came into college thinking of, that I was very different from the people who, came, who come from wealthier families, went to elite high schools, and are familiar with elite institutions. However, I found that within elite institutions, a good deal of shifting about occurs and that it does not consist of one small set of the same people, because at UChicago, I've connected with other minority students who came from similar backgrounds, but are now going on to become participants of the elite class I used to find myself so different from. Elite institutions are no longer just for people from elite backgrounds because of the scholarships and resources that they offer for low-income students like me. When students like myself come into UChicago and utilize the network and resources it provides, we are becoming part of the power elite that Steve Wright Mills describes. I do think the major differences are in the networks that my school has versus yours because many students spend those summers working back home or at the college, and it's pretty rare that someone gets an internship with investment bankers like Goldman Sachs. I feel like many of these opportunities at your school have to do more with the institutions themselves than contact content we learn about, because my school has many more majors and specializations than yours, and we generally cover the same material, 
Do you think that Mills is correct in saying that although sometimes men shape institutions, institutions always form and select men? Do you think that UChicago has changed the way you view your identity? I think that being at UChicago has made me realize some of the ways in which I am privileged. Even though we grew up in a white neighborhood and struggled to see our perspective as Black Americans displayed and understood in school, that same school system is what got me to an elite institution, which not many Black students have. In addition, my formal education here gives me the opportunity to be more understood and respected by future members of the power elite, which will widen my network and benefit me in the future. Being at UChicago has changed my view of my identity in that I am better equipped to pose an oppositional gaze against the theories and content I'm learning. However, being at a PWI with a small black community still puts me in this position where I'm looking at myself through the eyes of others and comparing myself um, and the opportunities I'm given to those white, rich students I attend school with. And I don't think you're alone in that at all, because what you face is what many minority and low-income students face coming to college, especially in an elite university like yours. I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and I think it speaks to the struggles of identity that minorities have when in predominantly white spaces, the lack of education and history that builds from the bottom up and the alternative ways that people are forced to find their own meaning of ethnic identity. Thank you so much for joining me today, Grace. I really appreciated our conversation. Make sure you guys like and subscribe and tune in next week.